Welcome to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week I speak to people who fund and support social innovation in different ways. Grant providers, impact investors of various kinds, angel investors, foundations, family offices and more. They talk frankly about how they work, how they make investment, grant and funding decisions, what they will invest in or support and what they cannot. They talk about the pros and cons of different sources of funding, share lessons and insights, and provide invaluable advice for any social entrepreneur or innovator looking to build and finance a sustainable social business. He pursued probably 35 plus transactions uh, over the last three years, and I think that where we've landed is really two parallel streams of activity. One stream of activity that we would, uh, that we would sort of call responsible investing, and one stream of activity that we can that we would call sort of a reclaimed version of impact investment. If things can be commercial right off the bat, then to us, they're not, you know, where we want to be in our view of impact investing. No. So we are going because we do have these different options for, you know, how we can use our capital. And then it's being really careful how you use that capital. And, and I feel like for the social entrepreneurs, it's being really self-disciplined and sometimes actually saying no. I'm very pleased today to introduce Diane Eisenberg and Greg Nietzschen, directors of Seniarth, a family office and related private foundation that supports social entrepreneurs delivering market-based solutions that improve livelihoods in underserved communities. Seniarth is primarily focused on developing economies and sectors such as agriculture, energy and financial inclusion. They use a wide range of financial tools to support the most effective enterprises generating measurable impacts within target communities. Seniarth is only a few years old but has already supported more than 30 social ventures including Root Capital, One Acre Fund and Off Grid Electric. Welcome to the podcast, Diane, Greg. I'm very pleased to have an opportunity to speak to you today and hear about the great work that you're doing at Kenny Arth. Excellent. Uh, we're, we're happy to be here and thank you for having us. It sounds like you're building a great resource for the industry in this, in this podcast series, so we're excited to participate. Excellent. Well, a good place to start, maybe if you can tell me a little bit about Kenny Arth and uh, what you're about. Sure, I think I'll, I'll take this one. So um, Kenny Arth is a, uh, is a relatively new family office organized about three years ago. Uh, we manage um, a variety of, of family assets, both a private family foundation as well as unrestricted personal investment assets. The office was uh, really founded to professionalize the management of the family's assets as well as to pursue a very specific vision of using capital across the full continuum um, to, to target impact. Uh, you know, we spent um, the, the early years, uh, you know, year, year sort of one and, and two uh, organizationally being rather experimental in, um, in our orientation to the market. Um, we pursued probably 35 plus transactions uh, over the last three years. And I think that where we've landed is really two parallel streams of activity. One stream of activity that we would, uh, that we would sort of call responsible investing and one stream of activity that we can, that we would call sort of a reclaimed version of impact investment. Uh, and we can get into to what that means for us, but really, you know, on the responsible investment side, you know, our aim is to invest in a relatively 
conventional way, generating reasonable financial returns and aligning those investments uh, with as much impact as we can get um, while still generating reasonable returns. You know, what we consider to be impact investment is more of our programmatic activity, um, which is concessionary in nature, higher risk, really targeting um, deeply underserved communities in, in emerging markets. And, you know, we can we can unpack uh, both of those in our in our views on um, how each of those individual fields is um, is developing. But we really see them as as distinct uh, practice areas and uh, and have found actually you know, a lot of confusion in the market as the two get get intermingled a bit too much. Right. That's interesting. Talk a little bit about that, maybe the, the, the confusion that you see or just in what ways they are separate and, and uh, should be thought about distinctly. Sure. So I, I think that um, I think part of the issue is that investors come to uh, or I, I, I say investors slash funders come to the market with a mixed set of uh, of goals and incentives. And I think that oftentimes um, they themselves are not particularly clear about what they're hoping to achieve with a pool of capital. And uh, and if one is not clear about what one's hoping to achieve, then obviously they're not going to generate, um, you know, generate, you know, generate positive outcomes. So, you know, I think that what, what we see is um, we see investors who are, you know, trying to have it all, who are trying to say, you know, this, we can sort of generate mythically great returns and generate deep impacts for, uh, for underserved communities um, around the world. And, and, you know, we, we really, after three years of working in, um, in these sectors are, are somewhat skeptical that that's, um, that that's the reality. I think we believe that, um, solving challenges, especially in emerging markets and especially in deeply underserved communities, um, necessitates uh, taking risks that typical investors, you know, wouldn't wouldn't shoulder. Right, right. And right. I think if um, typical investors would shoulder it, then it would already have been done and there <laughs> would be no need for it. And I think that's sort of the issue around the term impact investing, this kind of myth of the double bottom or triple bottom return that we don't um, agree with. And it feels like with many organizations and um, sort of impact investment forums, they're still promoting that um, yes. in a way that we don't think is particularly constructive. Yeah. Which I would say is perfectly acceptable if, if your goal is to, uh, is to have an investment portfolio that you want to be generally more aligned with, let's say, progressive values, and you want to fill that investment portfolio with, you know, ESG-oriented public, uh, you know, public public funds and fixed income funds, and you know, generally aligned private equity vehicles that are working on, you know, reasonably beneficial companies in, uh, you know, in sectors like ag and education and healthcare in the U.S. and Europe. Then I think it's very easy to build a portfolio of those things, stamp them, you know, a responsible portfolio, and feel very good about um, what you built. And I don't think that we're, you know, that may have come off as somewhat condescending, but I think that we actually believe that's a perfectly fine and good thing for people 
to be doing with their investment portfolios if they want to move their investment portfolios in, in that direction. Which is exactly what we're doing. Right. But with with part, a, yeah. <laughs> it, we don't view that as impact investing. Yeah. Right. We view well, that as yes. responsible. We view that as responsible investing, and, and we don't think that necessarily that deserves much of a medal or knighthood for kind of you know organizing your portfolio in that in that way. We think that's perfectly fine. I think there's an entirely separate practitioner group that starts from the question, how do we solve challenges, you know, in emerging market value chains, whether those are in energy and agriculture and financial services, they don't approach that from the perspective of how do I, you know, make a certain return hurdle in this market? They approach it as what, what is the obstacle? What, what's broken in the market and how can we solve that with capital, be it an investment, a grant, a program-related investment, the, the, the goal is solve the problem, not generate a return. Great. That's, that's fascinating. That's very interesting. And it's, it's very, uh, it is a really important question, I think. And I, I was speaking to Kevin Starr at Malago about exactly this uh, last week. And he talks about three pots of money. Uh, he talks about uh, uh, free money, which are the kind of grants and so forth, and the maybe money, and uh, which is money which is uh, willing to uh, accept lower rates of return or higher risk or, you know, to fund riskier projects. And then what he calls real money, which is, you know, more the venture capital or real, you know, money that's going into you know, projects that are scalable and have shown that they, you know, there's a market there and so forth. And, and I suppose one of that, one of the big questions there is how much maybe money is there really out there? Um, and I think you're alluding to that in some way as well. Well, I mean, I, I mean, we would sort of frame that as, I suppose, grant concessionary and sort of market rate returns. But when you say, you know, venture capitalism, you know, real returns, how much money have venture capitalist firms thrown down the drain? <laughs> and when those models have been used, for example, you know, in um, energy access in East Africa, if you look at the amount of money that's been put into equity, you know, what alternatives might there have been to actually build that ecosystem and essentially deliver solar home systems or solar lanterns at a price point that the bottom of the pyramid could afford? And I think that I would even sort of challenge the use of venture capitalist models as the most efficient ways to build these ecosystems and to kind of build markets, which is, again, I think something that's being peddled as part of this impact investment, you know, new world. Right, right. That, and, and I think uh, with some of these companies, there's been a lack of clarity of how grant money has been used, how concessionary capital has been used, um, you know, and, and you kind of, I, you know, I feel like there hasn't been a real honest um, picking out of where exactly grant money should be used. I mean, I think that there's definitely a process, but I also feel like a lot of companies have been able to take advantage of using grant money in the exact same way that other people would then have to raise equity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the exact same type of company in the exact same environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've been looking at organizations that don't have the profit making model, but are definitely, um, you know, sound businesses like um, one, one acre fund, which I kind of view the input, the grant money as almost being equal to equity. So the you know the money that Gates put in to sort of seed and start it, and it, as a, a relatively young organization, a four year old organization, the kind of achievement that it's had, and it's about I think is about eighty five percent 
self, yeah. self-sufficient and that they now are starting to raise concessionary debt. You know, so they're actually able to raise working capital that they need. They have a core business. Um, they use grant money more for, for research, you know, to help push that business on. They're able to, they actually are distributing one of the largest distributors of solar home systems in Kenya and Rwanda. Um, and through their ability to purchase on a large scale, the price point is cheaper for the consumer, which I think is critical in all this. You know, so I, I feel like we're actually beginning to focus more on efficiency of capital, yes. you know, rather than, you know, is it and, and efficiency of capital in some of these non-governmental organizations who are working towards becoming just basically sustainable yes. or have teeny teeny subsidy is going to be far more impactful i I speculate can be far more impactful than these other venture capitalist models a lot of them that you know with with the um, solar home system market if you actually look at how many systems have been sold and the kinds of problems they're encountering and the huge amount of equity that's been poured in primarily from silicon valley you know i think it raises a lot of questions well, that's right. I was talking to somebody recently, and as part of the my background research, I found uh, well a hundred page uh, uh, report on off grid uh, electricity in India by Goldman Sachs, which I thought was mm. uh, interesting. <laughs> and uh, um, in 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 light of what you're saying, so you, you said something there. I'm just wondering: you, the grant can be considered as equity. I'm not sure I understood what you meant by that. Okay, well, if you looked at, I mean, I'm, I'm using that um, in, I'm looking at one acre fund. Yes, so I was yeah, you know, absolutely, absolutely, yes. And one acre fund received a huge grant from um, the Gates Foundation. Yes. When they started, I mean. Yeah, so I, I think that, I think that the way we, the way we view this is that when you're an early, when you're an early uh, enterprise getting off the ground, whether you're a, uh, for-profit enterprise or a hybrid social enterprise or you're a nonprofit, you need you need some money to get off the ground, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, if you're a for-profit entity in general, you're trying to raise a bit of equity uh, to capitalize your business so that you can, you know, so that you can start building something. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the sort of hybrid organizations are are catalyzed with initial grant money so that money's not going in in the form of equity into the into the corporation it's simply yes. a grant saying this is a worthy enterprise that needs to get off yes. needs to get off the ground so i i think that what we're you know what we're sort of advocating is is uh you know probably more honesty in the assessment of what these organizations what the trajectory of these organizations can be um and making sure that your raising the right form of capital for what your organization wants to become and how you can successfully manage that organization. I think one of the problems in the field is because there are there is such a diverse set of funders, each of whom has, you know, their own take on the form of capital they want to deploy, you have organizations kind of pinballing around um, you know, like any good entrepreneur would do, they're looking for money. And if somebody's going to give them money and call it a grant, they're going to take it. If someone's going to give them money and want them to value this enterprise, then they're going to try to do that. They're going to do what is necessary to, to kind of capitalize the business. You know, I think that results in companies, in enterprises getting set up with structures that, that don't always uh, help them grow in the way they should. They get set up with venture capital when they're not 
a particularly high growth entity. So they're getting pushed by a board to grow in really, uh, you know, really not helpful ways. Yeah. Uh, yes. Or get set up with ma with with heaps of grant capital when they're working in a relatively commercial sector, and all of a sudden you have a, an entirely distorted market because one funder decided to, you know, pick a winner and bestow that winner with hordes of grant, not you know, a non-dilutive grant capital. So, you know, I think that I think that it's sort of incumbent on funders to be really sensitive to what's happening in the landscape and sensitive to the kinds of money that we're using to capitalize and fund these organizations so that we don't send them down, uh, you know, send them down unproductive paths. That's very, very interesting because it gets to a heart of a really important question there, which is, you know, the appropriateness of different kinds of capital. And as you say now, there are, uh, it's been a proliferation of different uh, types of funding and different vehicles. There's demand, dividends now, and, and, and all kinds of things that are some of them coming out of Silicon Valley um, and so forth. And, and I, you, you mentioned this question of, uh, I, it, I, I pick up right away that idea of, you know, growth capital going into an organization that might not be built for that or not, might not ever, you know, be appropriate in that environment. You, you mentioned on the grant side of things that it can distort things in terms of the dynamics in the market. What about for an individual social entrepreneur? Um, can you talk a little bit about that, uh, the, the impact of maybe, uh, you know, taking taking on a grant or, or, or maybe just look at it through that lens. You know, if you are a social entrepreneur, what would be one or two of the questions you would ask uh, that they should ask about whether or not to seek uh, grant funding? So I, I, I think that uh, I think one of the challenges of of, uh, of grant funding is um, is sort of understanding how long that grant funder is going to support your organization and really understanding where, you know, what, where that, where is that grant capital going to get you? Um, and, uh, and what's going to sort of sit behind it. Right. And I think that, um, I think that is one of the challenges that we've seen in a, in some of the, in some of the, the sort of more classic NGO organizations we've supported, um, is that if there's, if there's not a good plan for sustainability and if there's not a good plan for, what happens when that grant funding runs out, then you get a lot of orphan projects and orphaned enterprises when a particular funder decides that they had a, you know, they had a three-year program and their, and their program has, has run out. So, yes. you know, I think that's, I think that's one of the, one of the key challenges we see with sort of grant only funded organizations. Um, and it's, you know, one thing that I would ask if I was a, you know, entrepreneur that was going to really stake my initial business on, uh, on grant capital. Right. Diane's. Well, I also feel that um, there are some social entrepreneurs who are very clear about um, the fact that they're very clear that they have a pathway to sustainability, but they may be wanting to have sort of additional or additive um, programs that couldn't be justified unless they had grant funding. So for example, um, Frontier Markets, which is based in India and it's a last mile distribution company that we have just awarded a grant to, um, they are training women called Solar Sahali. So it's a little bit like the Avon model. So there are women who are um, basically selling um, products which are like solar lanterns, cook stoves. So products that are really gonna benefit women and make, you know, help them with time saving 
and also with there are a lot of knock-on health benefits and for those particular women um, having an income in an area where there are very few options for women to have an income now to develop that that would not make any sense in a, a conventional business plan um, the entrepreneur is very savvy so she had from the very beginning um, alongside her company she also founded a foundation but she's very disciplined about how she asked for money and for what she asked for money so we i view that we view that as um really something that i think other um social entrepreneurs could look to as a model mm -hmm. for something that is exemplar right that's, that's very interesting that's very interesting now you talked earlier on about investing across the full continuum um, I'm not sure if that's the right words you use. Why is that important to you? And maybe then we can talk a little bit about um, the, some of the investments that you've made, some of the fundings uh, that you've made, and uh, yeah, how that's evolved. Sure. So, um, you know, I think that uh, I think it's important to us um, for, uh, for for a few reasons. I think that we we generally are working in areas where there is some uh, some commercial dynamic uh, in play and and uh, and we're trying to stimulate markets whether we're doing that with a grant or a program related investment or a, or sort of a pure investment um, you know we're working in ecosystems that are moving generally in the direction of commercial sustainability and so you know we believe that having the flexibility um, to use this this full continuum of tools um, you know, gives us a, you know, a, a real, you know, a really unique way of engaging in markets um, where we can come from a solution first mentality and match it with capital versus saying, you know, it's going to be X, Y, or Z. And it, it has to be, it has to be that. So I think that's, you know, that programmatically is why we use the full continuum of tools. I think that, you know, if you, if we sort of take that one step up at a macro level, why do we pursue both responsible investing uh, initiatives that are intended to generate financial returns and programmatic initiatives, which are, you know, intended to solve problems. I think that's because, um, you know, we, we are at the moment maintaining a, you know, a foundation endowment and, you know, and we quite frankly just couldn't deploy all of our, you know, if we wanted to deploy all of our assets responsibly overnight in all of these program areas, I just, you know, I don't think we're at a point where we believe we have, good answers for how you uh, sort of pour that capital into into the program area. So I think that it's it's sort of a fiduciary responsibility that we would take on to say, you know, in the absence of, you know, a whole suite of programmatic investments, um, you know, we're, we're sitting on capital and we should, you know, we, sh we should invest that capital to earn returns. It can be put to good use in the future and we should do that in the most responsible uh, way we can. Right. That's very interesting. Now, um, can you talk a little bit about the breakdown between different kinds of funding that you have historically provided, what's grants or what's more uh, investments and the kinds of sums of money involved? If you can say anything about that. Sure. I mean, you know, we can talk about sort of, uh, you know, the general size of the transactions that we're working in on the um, on the programmatic side. And then I guess, you know, we can talk a little bit on the responsible investing side. You know, I think on the programmatic side on on sort of an enterprise basis or even a fund basis i think you know we generally work between you know five hundred thousand to three million dollars per enterprise 
you know, I would say that we certainly have done much smaller things than that. And, um, and we have some flexibility to do some bigger things, but, um, but that's, that's really been the sweet spot for us on our, on our programmatic investments. Um, on the responsible investing side, I think it's an entirely, um, you know, it's an entirely different range given the kinds of, uh, of, of investments and funds that we're, that we're making on on that side. And it's, you know, an order of magnitude larger, but, um, but that's, that's sort of generally the, the kind of. Um, size sizes we're working with. That's very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about the, this <laughs> question of for-profit and not-for-profit and how you look at it and maybe a sense of how you think uh, it's it's a, ha, uh, being talked about or being uh, enacted within the industry generally? Well, I think that um, in some ways it's, again, a little bit like Greg was saying, you kind of look at what the problem is and what the best solutions are to the problem. So a little bit um, what he was speaking to what sort of capital is appropriate, I would say um, depending on what the problem is you're, you're trying to solve, is it vi- will it ever viably be commercial? Um, and if not, what are the most efficient sort of uh, or you know profitable? And if not, what are the most efficient ways that nonprofit organizations will be able to solve that problem. So I think that's much more the way that we want to frame these things. And I feel like sometimes there's um, an overlap. So people are trying to solve problems that aren't ready to be solved um, in a commercial model. And, and that eventually, and I, I, what was interesting um, was there was a presentation recently by symbiotics. Um, at, uh, I went to a gin event recently, and they were looking at microfinance. Now, of course, now microfinance is commercial, but initially it was mostly um, funded by family offices and with con- grant and concessionary capital. I feel like in some of the sectors now, um, they're going immediately to commercial models where there might it must might be much more productive and um, a much more efficient use of capital to go through a longer route of that transition. So I think that there are a number of sectors, for example, again, I know I keep referring to one acre fund, but they really are the fact that they're um, actually serving close to half a million um, subsistence farmers. And they're, they're working with a group of farmers that people have found historically incredibly difficult to work with and even charitable organizations, you know, who work with those are not nearly touching those numbers. Um, you know, I think that it, there's a possibility that they may very well be self-sufficient and self-sustaining in um, a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that I would like to have sort of that distinction. And I think speaking to what Greg was saying, if things can be commercial right off the bat, then to us, they're not, you know, where we want to be in our view of impact investing. No. So we are going, because we do have these different options for you know how we can use our capital. And then it's being really careful how you use that capital. And, and I feel like for the social entrepreneurs, it's being really self-disciplined and sometimes actually saying no to certain capital and saying no. I mean, we know social entrepreneurs who've actually turned down capital because um, we know one, because he didn't feel he was ready organizationally. Now, three years on, he's taken on a substantial grant. He's growing. He's incredibly well-respected. 
but um, there aren't many social entrepreneurs who would have turned down, yes, you know, yes. a capital yeah. by saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not ready to take it. Hmm. Yes, that's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, I, I just want, wanted to talk a little bit about um, pilot schemes. <laughs> many of the social entrepreneurs I have talked to have had, you know, uh, quite a challenge raising money for pilot schemes and, um it's uh you know I, I think it's a rite of passage for for many it's a it, it is challenging inherently challenging just wondering uh, have you any thoughts on that um and when when you say pilot schemes do you, do you do you just mean an early version of their product or an early version of their intended service i mean obviously we, we you know we we fund pilots i'm just i'm just I'm just trying to understand the context that you're framing. That. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, uh, quite broadly, but a lot of the times, I guess it's proof of concept and they need to get statistics and evidence and and really prove things um, for investors. And uh, very often they don't have the capital, that, you know, to, to, to get them there. They're struggling yeah. to, to at that stage to even prove it. They have bits and pieces of of, you know, the picture. Um, but uh, some of the some of the people I've spoken to at least have, 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 found, have found this challenging. I, I, I just wanted to run it by you and, and just see how you any thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose, um, you know, we've, we've seen that frustration. Um, and I think that in some ways uh, that frustration is not dissimilar to that of uh, your run of the mill entrepreneur, right? Um, yes. You know, on any given day in, you know, in, in San Francisco or London or anywhere else, there's a bunch of entrepreneurs trying to run around to get ideas funded that they think are incredible ideas and they want to prove an early proof of concept and, you know, capital is scarce to fund those ideas, right? So, um, so I think that whether we're in, you know, the social entrepreneurship sector or the sort of broader uh, early stage venture world, I think that, you know, you're going to find disgruntled and frustrated entrepreneurs complaining about um, lack of funding. Now, what I would say is, um, you know, one of the, one of the, what, what is a magnifier of that frustration in the, in sort of the social impact investment world is, um, is that we have quite a lot of potential funders who, uh, talk a lot more about these issues than they do fund, than they do fund companies. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think that when entrepreneurs show up at, you know, at a, at a SOCAP or a gin or, um, or, or a tonic and uh, expect that there's going to be a room full of investors that, you know, are, uh, are, are really going to be forthcoming with their, their capital, I think they are met with a lot of frustration um, because I think there are a lot of uh, a lot of investors who sort of, you know, walk under the banner of impact investment that are, you know, generally not allocating that much capital to enterprises. So um, and I think that that wastes a lot of time, uh, you know, wastes a lot of time of, of entrepreneurs. I, I hear that much, you know, having worked in. Um, sort of the commercial early stage venture world or sort of the sort of conventional early stage venture world and now in the sort of social enterprise venture world, you know, I think that that, that sense of entrepreneurs wasting time um, is really heightened. Uh, wasting time on funders that go nowhere is really heightened in this, in this sector in a way that it's not as much in other sectors. 
Right, that's very interesting. I'm just wondering whether what, one more question before maybe just going on to uh, talking about the social entrepreneurs themselves, maybe how they approach you and, and maybe, you know, some advice in general around that, um, if that's okay. If you've got a moment. Um, about scaling, and I just wanted to get your views on scaling. Um, clearly, this is a big issue in terms of really addressing big problems and making sure the capital is, you know, effective and, and goes as far as it can. Um, at the same time, uh, some of the some of these problems are are so complex in a sense that certainly at the early stages, it's difficult for a social entrepreneur to really understand the you know and and I guess refine their approach to, to solving the problem to before before even thinking about scaling. I just want to get your sense of you know a little bit of of, of how you see scaling and, and some of the trends or some of the thoughts around that. So, um, so I think this gets to a point that both Diane and I were trying to touch on earlier, which was about being realistic about the kind of business and enterprise that you have. Um, you know, one of the one of the problems that that we see is that you've got a lot of investors, um, primarily those motivated by you know commercial outcomes that are from day one talking about scaling the enterprise. And um, so what you end up with, and this is not that different than what you end up with in sort of conventional early stage world, is you end up with entrepreneurs who have barely tested out a proof of concept, you know, showing slides that have dramatic hockey stick type <laughs> growth for the deployment of systems um, you know, in year two and three, because they know that that's the chart that investors want to see. Um, you know, and, uh, and we, we, we feel that that's a really, you know, really unproductive, uh, you know, exchange of, of thinking, um, where, you know, an entrepreneur sets themselves up for, for, for failure from the start, if they're trying to conform to what they believe that investors want. And ironically, that's, um, a chart that we don't like seeing. Yeah. <laughs> so we far prefer when we have an entrepreneur who's actually realistic and yes. he understands that it doesn't matter. A sign of a really good entrepreneur is, of course, you try and, you know, mitigate against any, you know, you have to know what kind of obstacles and problems you're going to have. And you have to look at, you know, mitigation. But you also know that there's always going to be something that you just couldn't anticipate. Yes. Yes. And, I, I spoke to somebody. And, and, that, and that never happens. <laughs> um, and yes. I think that. You then get, I mean, I think that's the problem, again, with using this conventional venture capitalist model. Yes. Because yes. Um, you, we then, and then you have people who actually continue because they have a vested interest. They're actually continuing to fund something that they are themselves questioning whether this is the correct model and whether it's going to succeed. Mm. You know, and, and that is just a real waste of capital. Yes. Again, I think some of the people who are going into um, challenging markets and you know trying to find innovative solutions, when, when they choose this model, to me, it might make them less of a social entrepreneur. Right. And I don't see how they're any different from an entrepreneur. Yes, you know, that they just happen to be choosing those markets. But yeah. you know, I think people who are true social entrepreneurs 
are, are taking different approaches. So, you know, for example, as, as I said, frontier markets, and I think we're seeing more and more of those people. And I'm, but I feel like a lot of investors are, and this have not really thought about these, these differences because people are just so used to this sort of conventional venture capitalist hockey stick model that, and, and I mean, you can extend this to when you use that model, what kind of exits are these companies going to have? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, and, and that's a whole nother issue connected to this. And I feel like there's, again, at these sort of events, there is not enough dialogue, um, devoted to addressing these sort of issues and it's all about squabbling over you know um 100 or 200 <laughs> basis points in returns yes and yes. it's really competitive and can we demonstrate you know so that we can have you know this will be sustainable this will grow because then all of a sudden pension funds are going to come in i mean this is completely irrelevant at this point <laughs> but that seems to be you know there's there's just far too much focus on that Yes, that's very interesting. I spoke to an academic recently who talked about uh, an aspect of this where he talked about solutionitis, but that's uh, people spending a lot of time coming up with kind of solutions or thinking about, you know, not all apps, but that kind of thing at the expense of really understanding the problem and that which takes, you know, yeah. a, a long time in these complex intracted situations where, you know, uh, interdependencies of all kinds and ecosystems and, and so forth. Uh, maybe just one last point on I, that is... Can I just sorry, yes. to sort of um, follow up on that statement? We um, There is a, a, a small um, mini-grid, micro-grid company um, in Papua um, called Electric Wine Industries. Um, and they have, when you were talking about piloting, they actually um, provide... Um, electricity through they have a, a central panel and it's for a, an entire village so the, the villages are it, the village is very small it's like 50 households and they have spent two years actually watching the behavior of people in this village to see how they're using energy yeah, and so yeah. they're now going to be you know rolling out another five villages and that has completely changed their business plan actually watching people's behavior and talking to people. Now, this was not done in the, what happened in East Africa, which was like some sort of, for, you know, forest fire or something, yes, you know, yes. this huge eruption, you know, that sort of just patience of really seeing how people behave and really interacting with people um, so that you understand the market and can actually build it out correctly and build it out cost efficiently because you actually then know that you're providing a product that is the right product for the consumer, um, you know, it is, is rarely done. And again, it's, I believe one of the faults are these traditional models and what Greg was saying, the kind of pressure that's just put on for this like rapid growth. Yes. 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 It's, it's, it's a theme. I get, oh, sorry. My voice is breaking up there. I heard myself again. Uh, just the last point on that. That's really fascinating, uh, Diane. Um, are you optimistic? I mean, th- we talked uh, about um, more of these conventional fa- financial models coming into the social uh, entrepreneurial world. Um, and there's a, a lot of a lot of talk, a lot going on, a lot of organizations. How much actual capital, as you say, is another question. But um, it's hard to get away from the influence of, of these ideas. Um, are you optimistic um, that, uh, that, that there will be uh, growth in in alternative forms of investment that are more suitable to uh, social entrepreneurs or more ideas about that? And, and where do you see that that uh, prospect coming from? 
Yeah. So, um, so I think that we are, we're, we're optimistic on the responsible investing side of our portfolio. Um, so I think most of this discussion is really centered on, um, the programmatic work we do under yeah, the banner yeah. that we would call impact investment. And I think that we do have, um, we have quite a lot of skepticism. Um, we believe that there are, you know, a small group of really good actors on that side that are, that are trying to push things forward. And, um, and so even though we have skepticism, um, we have, you know, we're sort of, uh, we have a great deal of perseverance and, um, and I think that we're committed uh, to, to sort of, you know, continuing to try to have big impacts in, in those markets. Um, I don't know how much optimism we have, but I think that we have, um, you know, I think we have curiosity in actually other forms of capital that might be useful in the long run in, the, in that world that are not commercial institutional capital. So I think, you know, we've had a lot of internal discussions about how aid money could be redirected or how more traditional foundations can could be, you know, using their grant making more effective in these areas. And I think that, you know, certainly in the near term, you know, we believe those are bigger sources of pools of capital than, you know, waiting for uh, big institutional funders to all of a sudden, you know, securitize, uh, you know, solar home system assets. Um, I would say that we have optimism, um, you know, on the responsible investing side of our portfolio. Um, and we've, you know, we've anchored a number of you know, early managers um, that are doing really good commercial investing that has really good impact. So I would, you know, two examples of that. Um, one is a firm called Generate Capital. Uh, you know, they're a, a U.S.-based specialty finance company um, that funds energy efficiency and, and renewables projects in, in the U.S. Um, tend to be small and mid-sized projects that, um that you know other large institutions are kind of mispricing but um but, but you know but generate has has done a really good job of growing and we we and you know and delivering really good returns on projects and um you know we think that's the kind of vehicle that both produces great returns and and has you know an important environmental impact another firm we point to that um is early and that we 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 helped um you know fund in, in sort of their early development is a firm called advanced growth capital agc um, they're doing uh, uh, factor factor finance, um, which is essentially a form of, of trade finance um, so, or supply chain finance um, that uh, that helps in a lot of uh, retail and agricultural uh, value chains. Um, they work uh, all over the world, but a lot in Eastern Europe, some in Africa, some um, you know in, in South America. So um, AGC is growing, delivering great. Uh, you know, great solid returns, you know, great solid risk adjusted returns for what they're doing, um, but also having impacts on small suppliers who are able to uh, access finance in, in their value chain through the kind of factoring services that um, that AGC capitalizes. Great. It's fascinating. It's uh, great to see the uh, growth of these kinds of organizations. And um, it's, it's, it's very uh, great that they're getting support as well. Um, maybe just finally, then, uh, uh, to talk a little bit about uh, the social entrepreneur, how do they find out uh, about what you're doing? 
uh, how should they uh, try and uh, if they've got the the, the, the kind of uh, project that they're looking for funding and and what kind of advice would you give social entrepreneurs uh, big question here in a small time but maybe one or two uh, uh, guidelines uh, given your experience talking to social uh, entrepreneurs of all kinds sure yeah I mean I again I guess I would repeat that I don't think uh, I, the advice that we might give is probably not dissimilar to advice we give to to any entrepreneur, um, you know, when they're when they're seeking funding, whether they're sort of a social entrepreneur, or conventional entrepreneur, um, and uh, you know, I, I think that's to to be focused um, about uh, about what they're doing, um, to use their resources in a really capital efficient way, uh, and um, you know, and, and I'd say specific to approaching funders, you know, really knowing who they're approaching, um, knowing what the specific areas that that funder is interested in, knowing what they funded before, um, uh, you know, coming with an informed opinion about how what they're doing fits into, uh, you know, fits into the initiatives of that particular funder. I, I really can't stress enough how, um, you know, how, how important that is. I think, you know, the flip side is it's incumbent on us as funders to be clear and transparent about the areas that we work in and the areas that we're willing to, um, you know, sort of entertain investments. But, um, but I think that we get approached regularly by entrepreneurs working in areas that, you know, I would hope from our website, it's clear we don't fund. Um, and I, you know, I, I, you know, I respect it having come from the world of, you know, trying to raise money for companies, you know, that, that everyone is a prospect, but I think that, you know, so that both sides don't waste time. Um, you know, I think that, that learning about who you're approaching is, is really important. Great. Great. And, um, you mentioned the difference, uh, that this is advice you'd give, uh, both, uh, entrepreneurs, non, uh, uh conventional entrepreneurs and, and impact entrepreneurs. What about the impact side of things? What do you like to hear about that? <laughs> I think that um, the main thing is for the entrepreneur to really understand what their business is about. So I feel, um, you know, it isn't theoretical that they actually, um, if they haven't tested, you know, if they don't have proof of concept that they certainly have had enough experience or have engaged with other organizations that they have enough, um, they've gotten to the point where they have a fairly credible thesis. Um, you know, and I, I feel like with a lot of things that the, with us, it's sort of the, in some ways the impact should be obvious. And so that they're, they're, they're working with, you know, in our case, because we have a bias towards bottom of the pyramid, towards rural, towards sustainable livelihoods. And to me, it, it's pretty, it's obvious that if you are having a last mile distribution company that is selling products that is really that an affordable price point, and that's going to improve the lives of, of women and their families and bring in possibly some additional income, that that is the impact. But they, I personally think they should be focusing on the business. Mm. Right, right. Other people have, you know, different views to us, but if, you know, you're just starting off and, and that it depends who you're selling it to. But I think with a lot of this stuff, the impact is, is, is the impact isn't proven until you actually test it. Hmm. 
and one 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 follow up um, on on that comment. The sort of early part of of Diane's comment was about entrepreneurs who who know the markets that they're trying to solve. I think we we have a bias, um, you know, certainly toward working with domestic teams in these markets um, and trying to find domestic co-investors. You know, I think that we, um, you know, we've seen we've seen many bad examples of of sort of classic sort of Western, you know, we're going to change the world and save the world, um, storming into markets with Western ideas fail that that we're sort of, you know, we, we have a we have a bias against against that that kind of against that kind of model. Um, you know, I think we're trying to do more to stimulate uh, local funding ecosystems and, and local entrepreneurial ecosystems. Um, a recent uh, recent program related investment we made from from the foundation was in a, in a group called Capria Ventures, um, which is trying to actually invest in local fund managers in in many uh, you know in many African countries to, to to begin to generate that domestic ecosystem um, that will really produce solutions from the people who are experiencing. Um, you know, experiencing the problems and closest to the problems. Right. Very interesting. Something I'd certainly be interested in talking further about. But I think we will have to leave it there for today. I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me and Financing Social Entrepreneurs. It's been a fascinating discussion. Lots of useful advice for social entrepreneurs. And I'd like to wish you the best of success with the great work you're doing at Kenny Earth. Excellent. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I hope you found this interview valuable. Please make sure to visit financingsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Echoing Green. Echoing Green drives social progress further, faster, via its Global Social Entrepreneurship Fellowship, now running for 30 years. Echoing Green's new Impact Investing Program aims to bridge the gap between impact investors and social entrepreneurs to help build more resilient and financially stronger social impact businesses. You can find out more at echoinggreen.org.